My name is E.B. Hayes, and I'm so glad to be here with you this morning, and I hope you've had a blessed Thanksgiving, but I'm all about Christmas now. <laughs> put on my red top and everything. And we do welcome those that are watching us on live, uh, Facebook live streaming and ask that you would um, like us or leave a comment or even both so that we know that you're watching. And we're very glad you've joined us for worship. For those of you in the sanctuary, we're going to start a new procedure. It's actually a repeat. We just haven't done it in two and a half years. But if you would, please, we're going to um, start the attendance pads. There's one pad for each of the four sections. They'll start at the back. And if you would, sign and pass to the next person or the row in front of you. But please, don't cross the aisle. <laughs> Heaven forbid that we would cross the aisle in this country. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> As December draws, close, uh, draws closer, I would ask that you would remember um, if you made a pledge toward the stained glass window fund, if you haven't paid your 2022, please do so. We know that the large Jesus window that faces out onto Cherry Street is going to be back before Christmas. But the bill will come then too. <laughs> and that will bring the first phase to completion. And so we do ask that you would honor that 2022 pledge if you can. Pastor Kathy, what do you have to share? Good morning, St. Paul's. Did we still eat too much turkey? Let's try that again. Good morning, St. Paul's. <laughs> it is truly a joy to be with you all today. Just two quick announcements. Tomorrow when we take uh, our sandwiches out, we are also starting to take socks with us for anybody on the street that might need socks. We're going to make that part of our regular uh, <clears throat> Uh, part of take when we take sandwiches out so we do have money in our mission budget to buy socks but I know that there are so many of you that truly love that feeling of being able to bring socks and know that they will they will be put on feet that need to be warmed I don't know if you noticed when you drove up today but our take a scarf need a scarf take a scarf have a scarf leave a scarf on our fence is underway. We have no idea how that's going to work, but we are giving it to God and just trusting that when people need a scarf, they'll get one, and I'm hoping that people in the community will see that and bring scarves as well. So if you have scarves in your closet that you're not using, please consider bringing them up, and you can either hang them on the fence or bring them here, and we'll make sure they get on the fence. Will you go with me to God in prayer? Oh, gracious and loving God, we do indeed give you thanks. We give you thanks that you have called us to this place at this time. God, we know that we don't have to ask you to be present because wherever we are, whether we're in the sanctuary or whether we're at our homes, we know that you are there just waiting for us to turn to you. So God, help us to remove the distractions. Help us to be present to you so that during this time of worship, we may experience the risen Christ and leave today transformed. It's in your name we pray. Amen. St. Paul's United Methodist Church welcomes, affirms, and extends our love to all persons, regardless of age, ethnicity, race, income, life experiences, abilities, sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression. All are welcome into our family. This morning, we light the first candle of Advent. 
candle of hope. We kindle it with hope. God of hope, we long for you to come to our world, to break through and reign with compassion, justice, and peace. We light this candle as a sign of our hope, our joyous hope that we can be restored, our faith restored, our strength restored, our confidence restored, and our joy restored as we watch and wait with all God's people for the promise to be fulfilled. Please join us in the Advent prayer printed in your bulletin. Mighty God, creator of the world, break through all that keeps us from you. Let us go to God in prayer. O oh God, who gave us the hope of Christmas, we come today asking that you give those of us who need it a true day of rest, a chance to relax, a chance to understand, a chance to gain strength. Lord, in your mercy. God, we ask today that you would bring hope to those who are hopeless. We see the suffering and the pain that so many have experienced. Those that have experienced things recently due to financial trouble, due to illness, due to loss of a loved one or loss of relationships. But bring them hope. The hope that comes from you. The hope that you can bring to our hearts. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray today for love. For those who feel unloved, for those who love without having it returned, and for those who need reassurance of your love and of others' love. So we ask you to show them love and to show us how we can love them as you would have us. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray for those who are affected by violence. Some of them live in violent places, places of war, places of anger, and we ask that you would help them through this time and help them to find a way to be free from violence. Lord, in your mercy. God who loves all of us, we give thanks to you for the good things that we have, the people in our lives, the place we have to worship, the country in which we live, and for many of us, the circumstances into which we were born. Lord, we thank you for these things and for the hope that we can learn to show gratitude to you and show gratitude to others along the way as you have shown it to us. Lord, in your mercy, and Lord, now that Christmas is approaching, help us to remain focused on these things, those things which are true and honest and good. Keep us from being consumers of stuff. Instead, help us to be consumed by your grace and your love. Lord, 
in your mercy. And now, as children of God, we join together in that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Well, as I mentioned last week, Advent marks the beginning of a new liturgical year. For most of this year, our gospel reading will be from the Gospel of Matthew, with a little bit of the Gospel of John sprinkled in throughout. Now, of course, there are some exceptions to that, but Matthew will be our primary gospel for this year. So we should probably know a little bit about the context of when it was written. It's important to know that Matthew was probably a rewrite of the Gospel of Mark, and it was probably written in the mid-80s A.D. It was written 50 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, but only 10 years after the destruction of the Jewish temple and most of Jerusalem by the Roman Empire. This gospel was written to a Jewish audience whose faith had been shaken by the destruction of the temple. For the Jewish people, the temple was where God lived, and that vast devastation raised questions about God's faithfulness, God's will, God's presence and forgiveness. And it raised questions for them of how do we now live faithfully? The Gospel of Matthew, written during this time of doubt, proclaimed Jesus as God's agent who provided forgiveness, manifests God's presence, and instructs about God's will and interprets scripture. The Gospel of Matthew helped to shape this new community of Jesus' followers who were living in a world that was dominated by the power of the Roman Empire, the ones who crucified Jesus and then destroyed their temple. And throughout this gospel, you will hear a call to live counterculturally. It's God's world, not Rome's. It's God that is manifested in Jesus, not the emperor. It's God's blessing that extends to all people, not just the elite. And it is Jesus, not Rome, that reveals God's will. You see, throughout Matthew's gospel, Rome is the devil's agent whom God will overcome when God's empire is established in the full return of Jesus. Our scripture reading on this first advent, it's not an anticipation of the birth of Jesus. It's a reading that comes late in Jesus's ministry. He has already entered Jerusalem where he will be arrested, tried, and crucified in just a few days. I'll be reading from Matthew 24, 36 through 44. But earlier in this chapter, just a few <clears throat> scriptures before, the disciples approach Jesus asking, 
Tell us when this will be and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age. And Jesus tells them then many things about that day and how it will come about. And then that is what takes us to our scripture this morning. I will be reading from the Common English Bible. I will remind you that this <coughs> Bible translation tries to be more inclusive. And so instead of referring to Jesus as the Son of Man, it, Jesus is referred to as the human one. I will be reading Matthew 24, 36 through 44, and I invite you now to stand as you are able or to rise in your seats. And this is Jesus speaking. But nobody knows when that day or hour will come, not the heavenly angels and not the Son, only the Father knows. As it was in the time of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the human one. In those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. They didn't know what was happening until the flood came and swept them all away. The coming of the human one will be like that. At that time, there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, stay alert. You don't know what day the Lord is coming. But you understand that if the head of the house knew at what time the thief would come, he would keep alert and wouldn't allow the thief to break into his house. Therefore, you also should be prepared because the human woman will come at a time that you don't know. My friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, every year on the first Sunday of Advent, the reading is about the return of Christ, reminding us that Christ coming to earth is not a one-time occurrence. Yes, it has already happened, and it will happen again. And now for us as Christians, we are living in that in-between time, the already but not yet time. Our salvation, our peace comes from our relationship with God, and that's with us today through Jesus. But it is not yet fully realized, not yet fully complete on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, that is a cornerstone of our Christian faith, one that we are reminded of in our communion liturgy. Each time we feast at the table as part of our liturgy, we say, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Amen. Remember, Matthew was written most likely 50 years after Jesus' death. The people were getting discouraged. They thought Jesus was going to return to them quickly after his death. And then there was the destruction of the Jewish temple. That is something like the magnitude that 9-11 was for us today. It changed our whole world. So I want to put this in perspective. One generation experienced the <clears throat> death of Jesus and the very next generation experienced the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. The people were losing their hope. What in the world was happening? And I wonder how many of us have thought that recently. 
We watch the news and we see such an increase in gun violence. We see war in Ukraine and we <coughs> hear discussion of possible nuclear weapons. And just about the time we get COVID under control, we have massive outbreaks of RSV and the flu. We feel the racial tension in our country. We feel the political divisions. We have high inflation and the harm being done to our planet is egregious. And yes, even the United Methodist Church is in the middle of an ugly divorce and we find ourselves wondering what is happening to our world. It is no wonder, my friends, that as a nation we are <coughs> also facing a mental health crisis. And then, in the midst of it all, the season of Advent is upon us. And today, we lit the Advent candle of hope, a reminder when maybe we needed it the most. And you see, friends, that's exactly what the writer of the Gospel of Matthew was trying to bring to the people, hope. Be ready for it, watch for it. Things are going to get better because Jesus is coming back. Now we don't know exactly when, but people, hang on. He promised he was coming back and things are gonna get better when he gets here. And now over 2,000 years later, here we are, still waiting, still watching, still hoping. I don't know about you, but I have to admit that sometimes I find that it's hard to hope. I get discouraged. Sometimes it seems too big, it seems too hard. I've been disillusioned. And then, and then in the midst of my despair, something happens. I get an unexpected phone call or a text from a friend. I see a beautiful sunset, or I have a quiet moment with God. There's that heartwarming smile that you don't expect because it's coming from a stranger. Or we sing a hymn, and I hear your voices, and I can feel the organ in this presence, and hope fills me full again. And I am convinced that at each of those moments, I have indeed experienced the coming of Christ back into my life. You see, friends, I think that's what Matthew was trying to remind the people. Jesus is coming back. Someday the earth will be like the prophet said. Swords will be turned into plowshares. Spears will be turned into pruning shears. Nations and people will not fight any longer. And there will be a time when we don't learn about war anymore. A time when the lamb and the lion lay down together. And righteousness will flow like a river. Yes, friends, that day will come. But until then, there is still hope because Jesus is going to show up in our lives over and over and over again. You see, I give thanks that the coming of Jesus is not just something in the future. It's not limited to a final second coming, but rather there is an infinite number of times Jesus comes into our presence. We just have to be watching and waiting, hoping and finding as we recognize the unexpected coming into our lives, as we see God burst forth into humanity over and over and over again. Matthew is telling us that it's going to happen when we least expect it, when we are doing our day-to-day -day routines. 
You see, for the first century people, that was working in the fields or grinding wheat for a meal. And as I read this scripture this year, I was struck with the sense that one person would notice Jesus in their midst and one wouldn't. The one who noticed was in God's kingdom and Matthew metaphorically says the other one was taken away. The other did not experience God's kingdom because they didn't notice. They weren't paying attention. And two people in the very same spot doing the very same thing. One was in the presence of Jesus and one wasn't. Both had the very same opportunity to notice and one didn't. Now my friends, let me be very clear. This scripture is not a scripture that supports the popular left behind series of rapture where believers will be whisked away and the rest stay back and suffer. No, this is quite the contrary. The one that noticed stayed in the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven and the other, although still plowing in the field or grinding, was there but wasn't in the midst of God's kingdom. Now you may be asking me, what gives me the confidence to say that this scripture has been grossly misused by the popular Left Behind Rapture series? Because look what Jesus is comparing this time to. He's comparing it to Noah. Noah, who was paying attention, built an ark and stayed behind. It was those who weren't paying attention that were whisked away by the flood. Noah stayed behind and experienced the kingdom of God. That's what Matthew is telling us. Pay attention, be watchful. Jesus is going to show up in the midst of your daily lives over and over and over again. And my friends, that's what gives us hope. Have you ever noticed that two people can be in the very same situation yet see it so entirely different. I think about when disaster strikes a family or a community, a great flood that has devastated the area. One will be interviewed and in great distress cry out, what are we going to do? We have lost everything. It's just awful. And another will say, it's going to be okay. We still have each other and God is with us. Even when a loved one is tragically killed, one will focus on the tragedy and another will focus on the love and the support of those who have helped. One is noticing the presence of God in their midst of grief and able to experience God's kingdom even during the heartache while another feels like they are living hell on earth. And my friends, the people of the first century knew that life was not easy. They were losing hope. And Matthew reminded them, as will Mark and Luke and John, to keep looking, to keep searching, to keep hoping and to find Jesus in our midst, to find ways that Jesus showed up when we least expected it and we needed him the most. And so what do we do while we watch and wait? We keep doing what God has called us to do, to love God and love neighbor. Not love as a sweet, mushy feeling that fills our heart, 
but love that is an action verb. We make Jesus visible to those in our midst, those in our community, to those who are hurting, those who are hungry, and those who are outcast. Friends, that's what we are called to do while we watch and wait. And that's the measuring stick that God expects from us. There are places in the Gospel of Matthew that speak of judgment. The writer of Matthew is very clear. There will be a time of judgment when God separates the goats and the sheep, and the sheep will sit at the right hand of God and the goats will be banished. Now I must admit, I have always wrestled with this image of God banishing people. But Jesus was very clear. Woe to you hypocrites. Woe to you who turn people away from me. And woe to you who follow religious laws and yet cast people aside. You see, Jesus shows us that God's judgment is not about how often we go to church, what our political party is, what our sexual orientation is, or how many times we've been divorced, whether we've had a criminal conviction or fight addictions. No, Jesus is clear. We are judged by how we treat one another and how we treat those who society has shunned. It is only in the Gospel of Matthew that we hear Jesus say, and he says it in this same discussion <clears throat> later when he's talking to his disciples, and he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Hey, we don't remember that, Jesus. When did we do those things for you? And he says, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Friends, that is what our judgment will be. So yes, friends, today we enter the liturgical season of Advent where our focus is not on the frenzy of the commercialism of Christmas, but on the coming of Christ in our lives. Not the birth of Jesus over 2,000 years ago, but the coming of Christ in our lives today. Wait for it, watch for it. It's the promise that we have been given by God and St. Paul's, while we watch, do what you do best. You make Jesus visible to others so that they too may experience the coming of Christ. May it be. It is in the name of our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, Mother to us all. Amen. Let us now sing two times. Emmanuel. <laughs>
old in us. Friends, I took off my robe because I want to talk to you, not from the perspective of your pastor, but as a person who was not always a faithful giver. I want to tell you a bit about my journey before I became a pastor, because it was a journey that truly changed my life. And I will tell you, as a pastor, it's hard for me to talk to you all about money. Even though Jesus spoke about it so much, it's difficult for me. But as a lay member, it is so easy to tell you how my life was changed. As many of you know, you've heard me say that I grew up in McFarland. McFarland was a very large church in <clears throat> Norman. It was known as the University Church. It's that just a few blocks north of <clears throat> the campus. And I'll tell you, there were some members of McFarland that were very, 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 very wealthy. I moved to Edmond for college and I only attended McFarland <clears throat> for special Sundays with my dad. But as a young adult, I came back to McFarland. But my giving consisted only of dropping a few dollars in the offering plate because I knew that there was plenty of money at McFarland and they didn't need mine. And then I eventually moved to Oklahoma City and for a variety of reasons, I pretty much quit going to church. But then in my mid-30s, I started going to Epworth United Methodist Church. It was the first reconciling church in Oklahoma and it was a much smaller church than McFarland. And I started getting involved with all of the activities and ministries, but I was not at all vested financially. I was a teacher. I made very little money, and I needed, or at least I thought I needed, every single penny. And I continued, though, to put a few dollars in the plate and to, on occasion, give to special missions. But my primary contribution was my prayers and my presence. And occasionally I would volunteer. And I felt really good about the, my involvement and what I was contributing to Epworth. And then during a stewardship moment, someone talked about, where does your money go? What gets your financial priority over God? And I started looking at how much money I spent on drive-throughs and fast foods Marsham, my sonic Dr. Peppers. <laughs> it was usually about 50 or $60 each month. So I decided that on the first Sunday of every month, I was going to be faithful. I was going to put a check in the offering plate for anything I had spent the month before on fast food. And as I did it, I found myself going, oh, look at me, I'm really putting money in the offering plate and giving to the church. I felt so good about me. And I kept that up for a couple of years. And then one Sunday, Reverend Tish Malloy, who worked at the conference office at that time, but attended Epworth with her family, she talked about stewardship in a way that was a totally new perspective to me. She said that so often we hear Give until it hurts. Give until you notice that you are making a sacrifice. But she said, I'd like to encourage you to think about giving until it helps.
giving a portion of your money back to God so that it helps us do the work that God has asked us to do. Give until it helps. I liked the way that felt and decided that yes, I could give. So for the first time in my life, I filled out a pledge card and I committed to giving $100 a month. It felt good, but more than that, it made sense to me. Giving part of what I viewed at the time as my money, giving that so that it would help Epworth do the church that God was calling, do the work that God was calling us to do. And friends, there was something about making that commitment, about filling out that pledge card that caused me to change the way I viewed Epworth. No longer was it the church that I attended, the church that I went to, but I started hearing myself refer to it as my church. I had responsibility for it. I was committed to it. My church. And then a few years later, someone said as they were talking about stewardship, think about how much you are giving. Not the dollar amount, but the percentage of your income. Well, I felt really, really good that every month I was giving $100. But I looked at that in terms of my percentage, and it was about 3%. And God began working on me. Oh, I love how the Holy Spirit works. It meets us where we are, but it doesn't stay there. And I found myself starting to think, I could give more. I have this church that I love, a church that is doing God's work and not spending money frivolously, a church that is standing boldly and courageously to tear down walls of oppression, a church that feels like home. And I was able to see that God's abundant generosity was <clears throat> taking shape in my life in so many different ways. God was the source of all that I had, and suddenly 3% didn't feel like nearly enough to give back to God. Now I couldn't jump to the targeted 10%, but I realized that not only could I give more than 3%, but more importantly, I wanted to give more than 3%. So I upped my pledge to 5%, $150. And that's where I kept it for a handful of years, 5% each year. If I got a raise, my pledge increased, but the percentage stayed the same until it didn't. Until I found myself thinking, I want to give more. Not because the church needed the money, which it did, but that was no longer my primary reason for giving. I was giving because that was my church home and God was using us. I wanted to be a part of that and I wanted to give back to God. You see, I had spent so many years just reaping the benefits of God's abundant generosity. And now finally... I was ready to give back. And I think that it was at that point that I realized what Jesus was talking about when he talked about community. It's all of us in it together. No one carrying the financial weight of the church <clears throat> by itself, but all of us doing it. 
because we have one big pot. It's what we call the offering plate. And friends, I have heard prosperity preachers say that if you give to the church, God will bless you with more financial wealth than you could ever imagine. Well, I don't believe that, and I'll never tell you that. But what I have learned, not as a preacher, but as someone who was sitting in the congregation, that when I realized that all that I had came from God, giving back to God, to a church that I knew was doing the work of God, a church that was feeding the hungry and standing up for injustice and taking care of one another and holding and supporting each other in our Christian journey. It was then that I was blessed beyond measure, not through financial wealth, but that blessed assurance that God was using the money that I put in the offering plate to help bring forth the kingdom it's what we are called to do, to give until it helps. Amen. My friends, it is the first Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of hope. May you look for hope all around you. May you look for hope in the eyes of a stranger and in the smiles of a friend. And as you receive that hope, may you give it back to those in your midst so that they too may experience the hope of the Advent season. Go in peace, go in love, and go in hope. Amen.